Welcome to Hello Easton PA. I'm your host, Mark Nutting. I'm the owner of Jiva Fitness, an author, business consultant, former actor, dancer, martial artist, superhero, musician, and I love to connect with others. This podcast is a way for me to share the stories of the people I meet in my adopted hometown of Easton, Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Mark Nutting, and I'm here at Connections Gallery today. The owners are Alice Kwiatkowski and Anthony Marasini, and I'm here today with Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good. Thanks. So Connections Gallery has been around a long time. Indeed. Um, why don't you, let's, let's start with how do you see Connections at the moment? What, what is Connections for the community? Well, the elevator speech of what we are is that we are a local, regional, contemporary art gallery and entertainment venue. So we showcase primarily Lehigh Valley artists, but sometimes slightly outside of that. And we do events and activities, music, poetry, theater. And we have an outdoor venue in the back of the building that sits right. uh, 50 at tables at a stage. And we do uh, have rentals for that, weddings, showers, Yeah, parties, it's a beautiful back space to, uh, or space out back. Thank you. you. Know. Uh, very green, you know, nice, nice place to hang out. Appreciate in it. In fact, Please I've do. been to a lot of the events there. <laughs> um, so you, you talk about the local artists, uh, and, and actually you have a, a showing going on right now, uh, which is really featuring both artists of Easton's and scenes of Easton, correct? correct. It is called Scenes of Easton, yes. It's our second annual. We're going to make this a yearly. So it's, oh, our, yeah. it's okay. our only show where we can, it's the only show we, we currently do that's a community show. So in this show, everyone who submitted has something included in the show. And oh, okay. So that's why it's it's a massive show. There's 96 pieces. I didn't do a formal count, but I'm assuming there's close to 30 artists in it. Yeah. Uh, some of them show with us already, and some of them are first timers. And then from last year's show, we actually brought in I think it was three artists into our rotation. From, three three new artists. This yes, time. For, yeah. into a, like what we call our stable of artists. Um, after that show last year. So it was it was one of those um, I felt was very successful, so why not do it again? And it showcases the community in a, a way that I haven't personally seen people doing it yet or any entity doing it yet. So I thought it would be, why not? Just keep doing it, make it a bigger thing each year. And this is the first, actually the first time I've been in, in the gallery since this show opened. And uh, looking around the room, it, it just is really, it is Easton. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very cool stuff. Thank you. Some really neat pieces here. Um, so uh, now, how long have you owned Connections? Alice and I bought Connections in December of, I'm sorry, late November of 20, 2003. And then it was, it's been Connections since 1990. Uh, the former proprietor, Robin Porter, had the start of the gallery back when Easton was kind of still a bit of a misfit town. Yeah. And uh, he courted us when he wanted to retire. So we bought it from him and uh, kept it primarily the same concept. It's a, again, a local regional contemporary art gallery. It's basically what he had it as. The building, the space that we have is broken up into two different gallery spaces. The front is a seasonal group show. The back is a featured artist space. That's very yeah. much the same way Robin had it. He had more of a store vibe at the time in the front where he sold stuff because it was antiquities like antique oh, yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. there was a bunch of antique stores in easton in the 90s that uh, he was using as a was a he the first board. owner of connections he was he correct started he started it. connections yeah. and okay. we got a chance to ask him how we got the name because it's a it's an interesting it's it's spelled like the french version of connections yeah right. with an x and not a ct um it should also be noted that his sons are the owners of porter's pub so the, that family oh it is that Porter's. yes that family has had that. deep ties to this community from its early sort of redevelopment period in, yeah. in the 90s. Well, um, so your background and Alice's background, I mean, both both arts initially. <laughs> your cat is like eating the mic. If for those who are listening, there's a cat here. So if you hear him saying in, anything. And Anthony's in a yes, lap and Hank right the, at the mic. Yes, Hank the Tank. I'm sorry, you were asking me. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. It's okay. Uh, the, uh, your, your backgrounds, you, both of you uh, went to school for art. Correct. Uh, Alice went to Kutztown University, yeah, and she got a degree in. They have a, a term for it. I can't remember exactly what they use as their description of that curriculum. But it was art education primarily. Yeah, and then uh, she ends up parlaying that into a, a career at Kids Piece, 
where she uses her artistic background as a way of helping young people in need. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a bachelor's in fine arts from Tyler School of Art, Temple University. Um, people are trying to put me in a box. I'm a classically trained figure artist with a bent towards realism, but I do all kinds of stuff that's yeah. creative. And I know you've done a lot. You, you personally have done a lot of graphic work for businesses in Easton. I do logo work, yeah. I, that's like the thing I like to do when it comes to graphic design. Other stuff I find to be a little tedious, but I've done, I did the city's original official logo before Kudu Creative revamped it slightly. That's how the Bugler yeah. became sort of our symbol. Yeah. And right. then, um, you know, a bunch of different, I have to think off the top of my head, like the original Cosmic Cup, which the Cosmic Cup doesn't exist anymore. Um, Green Harvest down the street, Daddy's Place. I'm wearing this. Uh, State cafe. State cafe. I did theirs. Um, God, I'd have to think about it. Uh, for the girls around the corner. Yeah. There's a number of them that I did that they aren't in business anymore, and I hope it reflects on my ability to make the logo. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, that's just no. the nature of things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah that, I do stuff like that. I, I do, uh, there's a mural I did on South Third Street. Um, you know, I, it's just, I use creativity as a fluid endeavor yeah. in that regard. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about connections. I mean, how, I mean, you, you said you're doing this annual show of, of uh, Scenes of Easton. Um, how do you go about finding and selecting your artists for other shows? For other shows? Yeah. Well, we have what we use as a stable of artists. I'll use that term where there's probably about 20 or so artists that are in so the So you mix. rotate with your stable, the people? Yeah, so the- when we use the front of the building, which I was calling this seasonal group show, as a way of keeping those artists active in the market mm-hmm. so that uh, you know their work's being seen on a constant basis. And then right. we use that as a, a springboard towards a show, depending on when they want to show. Right. So we'll discuss it with them, everybody, each year. Like, hey, we're thinking about this show with you. What do you think? No, say yes or no, or push it off, or hey, how about if I do it with so and so as well? That kind of a thing. But that's mm-hmm. that's what we do. Now there are occasions where we have things like guest curators. So our show before this show was called Let's Play, that was curated by Marianne Riker, and there was some artists in that show that have never shown here before either. Mm-hmm. But um, that we'd probably do those like once every other year, every third year. We'll yeah. have like a, a a guest curator come in just to keep it fresh. And. Going back with the history a little bit, uh, how did you decide to go the gallery route? I mean, what what made you say, okay, I I, I should do it, I should or I sh- can or I, you know, let, let me, let's do this gallery thing. I don't want <laughs> to like, expression on Anthony's face. Is well, because it's it's a little convoluted, but not entirely. Because I I started an art gallery when I was in college with oh, yeah? a bunch of people. It was a, a co-op. Yeah, and I was. You know, it was, it was a nonprofit. I was the, on the board, yeah. and I was the vice president of that organization. And so they gave me sort of a, a primer on how to run an art gallery. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I've always sort of like leaned into entrepreneurialism, even as a young person, though sometimes not always from a proper space. So I can I have that innately in me. So I was like, well, when we when we when Alice and I first started to contemplate buying a business, interesting, mm-hmm. you know, Easton was up and coming at the time and not yeah, in yeah, the yeah. you know late 90s early 2000s right yeah who knew it'd take 20 some odd years but anyway the point is <laughs> is like uh i we thought that that was a, a prime opportunity so one of the first things we looked into was opening up a, a paint your own pottery place quite mm-hmm. honestly it wasn't even an art gallery and it because alice's background is in crafts more so right. than okay uh, art education painting. Said, yeah. yeah she did uh textiles and whatnot in yeah. college more so than painting not that she can't paint but that was like what her mm-hmm. you know her her drive was was that and pottery and things so i was like okay we could do that let's do that i know how to run a business that's no big deal but then that didn't pan out with the building we were looking at yeah and then uh and at the, t- at the same time i was over in phillipsburg doing some things because i was out of after 9 11 i was out of work in new york for yeah that year and so i, I went into painting and teaching over at the Riverview Arts Center. So then Alice and I were parlaying that into community development because we believe the arts are an integral part to community redevelopment. Yeah. And we started over there and that drew some attention from Robin who owned Connections. So when he felt like he wanted to sell, he came to us yeah. and says, okay. hey, you should buy this art gallery. And then I have had experience with Connections and so did Alice back into the 90s. Um, when I was uh, 
you know, starting that art gallery I talked about the yeah. co-op. I had come into Easton to take a look around and see what was going on with the arts. I grew up in Martin's Creek, just for reference. I was going to ask you where you grew up. Yeah, I, I graduated from Easton High School in 89. Oh, okay. And I went to Northampton Community College and got my associates and then went to, to Tyler. Yeah. So in the process of, of investigating Easton as a possible location for this cooperative gallery, I bumped into all these amazing people down here. Robin mm -hmm. was one of them. So it wasn't like I didn't have, I had no history of the gallery. I knew what it was and, right. you know, what it, yeah. it represented as far as the arts in the Lehigh Valley. And I knew that um, Robin had wanted to get out of the game for a while. And so we told him uh, tentatively, we agreed to buy it. We just needed to make sure that we could do it, you know, financially. Sure. And yeah. uh, that involved uh, getting a loan. So we had to write a business plan. All So in the process of me making this business plan, Robin's out there spreading the word that we're buying this gallery. Already. <laughs> so, you know, whisper down the alley so. that comes back to us that we're already bought the gallery. And I thought that was cute, but uh, that's how we end, we end up buying the gallery. Now, the evolution of the gallery for over 20 years is a completely different story. You, you go in thinking, you know, things and you think, you know, things, you maybe oh, sure. do know things, yeah. but the thing, you know, at that moment is inapplicable to the, position you're in in that environment so i knew easton was going to change i knew it you could just yeah. tell you could see it i mean if you had any sort of vision as a person you could see it yeah and these old hats that i bumped into rob and jeff and ollie folks who had businesses in town they sure. led me to believe the same thing and not that they were misleading me in any regard it's just that time becomes the real uh oppressor in that goal like i wanted this thing to be huge the whole town to be huge 15 yeah. years ago. Right. And uh, you're just like, well, I can't make that happen. So one of the things that we do, we did, and we still do it, but we made sure that we reached outside the front door and got involved in the community as much as possible because that's how we saw what Robin was doing with yeah. connections. And yeah. we wanted to carry on that legacy. And the, and the other folks I was mentioning, uh, Tim Hare, mm -hmm. Jeff Gilbert, Ollie, yeah. Andy's over there. They had a, a store called um, Archive Shop. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lynn Holden. Oh, there's so many people I can think of. of. Yeah, I can think of so many people who uh, who gave me such great guidance and showed me that that's what this community was going to do because they had determined it already. They yeah. determined this back in right. the mid-'80s. Already they had decided this town was going to be something special. Yeah. And it, they needed the next generation to pick up the mantle. And so we did. And that's then great. Like, you know, yeah. I'm waiting for that next generation to come in here. Them in here. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Because we're going to need them, them folks well, you, soon. You know, you've had some uh, young artists, and and, uh, and you probably do see people who are going to become you know, staples in, in uh, the arts community here in Easton. Oh, certainly. And some of those show here. Uh, Clara Cooley, she shows with us. Um, she grew up in this gallery. She, I'd known her parents before she was even born. Yeah. Devin Feely, he's another younger artist. He's a, that was my first piece of art I've ever purchased, by the way. Oh, it was, was a piece of Devin's. Oh, that's great. Uh, it, you know, I've acquired a lot of art, but that mm -hmm. was that first one I kind of go, mm -hmm. I just need to have this. I, I think the challenge when it comes to that, that what I was discussing as the next generation is is the entrepreneurial aspect of it because the entrepreneurial aspect of it is I don't I don't even know how to describe what it, what it's like to become an entrepreneur it's it's the, like one of the dumbest things you could do but one of the bravest <laughs> yeah. things you could do you know what I mean it's like it's not it goes against wisdom it says everything in our society at this point in a, as a sort of like post industrial hyper monopolized society we're in states the opposite you should work for a company keep your nose down sure yeah, yeah. Uh, you know gain some form of reputation in that company hopefully they'll co compensate you before they find a robot to do it right and that, that, that to me that entrepreneurial spirit is something i find at, not absent it's just difficult to find it sometimes you mean in others? I mean, I, know, in, in I, I, mean I, I see it in you all the time. Well, yeah, right? but again, I'm a, I'm, I'm not like an anomaly. I wouldn't say that I'm like a unique thing, but I come from such an odd space in the world that entrepreneurship was like the only thing I had to get out of where I was. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you have almost nothing in life, you come from almost nothing in life. You, you, you're left with decisions and those decisions mm -hmm. often are limiting in their own right. Like, so I grew up in Martin's Creek, one of the most rural communities around here. There wasn't any jobs out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the jobs that were out there were labor intensive and didn't pay very well. 
yeah. farm work, uh, landscaping, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I, we had, I was blessed that there were people who would hire me out there, yeah. you know, friends of the family. And their entrepreneurial skills showed me that that's how they got by out there. Yeah. They, they did it on their own. You do, know. do you think that the business skills, the entrepreneurial skills, uh, are, are a problem with, well, artists in general? No, because I think they're entrepreneurs. It's just getting them to you, understand you their that, entrepreneurs. Do you think their mindset is that, though? No, 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 but they don't realize that. <laughs> okay. That's what goes back to society. Society will tell them everything other than that. Yeah. They'll tell them that they're hobbyists. Sure. Or, right. Um, we, yeah, let cute. me know when you get a real job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. And then the starving artist is this, like, uh, you know, trope from, I don't even know, 1600 that comes right. up here. Yeah. And it makes everybody feel like, well, the arts are... You know, they're fun, but what is it? what's the real thing there? But then when you contemplate the industry that is the arts, it's everything is art. Yeah. Everything you see, touch, feel, taste, yeah, sure. it's here, it's all art. Yeah. So you're you're stuck in a society that, that both um, consumes that art, yet wants to minimize your access to it, both uh, geographically, economically, and psychologically. So it doesn't surprise me that artists um, don't understand that they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. But yeah. they indeed are entrepreneurs. At the most core level of what an entrepreneur is, they are creating their own product and trying to bring it to a market. Right. That is, yeah. that is the essence of an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, I just don't know how to educate young people in the field that that's what they are yeah. and how to like properly take advantage of that in a system that is bent on them not succeeding at it. Yeah. But there's all these assets that can make them succeed at it nowadays that we didn't have when I was well, young. Well, I was just going to ask you about that. I know that uh, some artists have a whole online presence now and are selling through online venues. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever done that? Is that something, I mean, you, you, you know, you're somebody who has your own space. So mm -hmm. the necessity to do all that is, is I, I assume, less for you than, than an artist who's out on their own and trying to find venues to show at and or get get their work out in the public mm -hmm. and that's all market-based stuff in my mind like um we have we have an online presence it's a sad presence i'm gonna be honest <laughs> with you i mean we're a mom and pop shop yeah. so and we have a front end back of the house the gallery's the front the courtyard's the back right so it's it, how do you create an online presence that's going to dominate enough that people will see you and consume your product when it's really a tangible product that they want to come see in the first place mm -hmm. Can some artists do that? Can some entities do that? For sure. It, it, I think that that's more the rarity than it is the rule. But then again, I'm old school, and I think that brick and mortar is where it's at. You know, yeah. I don't know how you, uh, as an unknown artist, how you get into that market and penetrate that market when it's so vast right now. Yeah. Because there's so many options. So you would still need some form of public interaction with people, I would think. Yeah. Again, not to say there aren't people who can do that. Um, there's also the cult of personality. Some people don't really need to have fabulous art to sell it because they have a personality, which right. fine. That's cool too. But not every artist is going to be like that. You know, we have um, like Will, Will Harmuth yeah. is an excellent example of somebody who's capable of doing both. He sells online, not even via a website. He sells it through social media. Right. And uh, somebody who sells well in brick and mortar. But then there's other people I know who put tons of energy into an online presence that they just can't get the traction. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. It, I think it's an asset regardless, but then you still have to balance all those uh, endeavors. It's like, okay, do, how, do I, how do I run an art gallery and an online art gallery? And I'm competing against uh, other interests where people are distracted. Yeah. You know, it's not as simple. It's not as simple as equations. It, sh it should be. Well, you know, as we're talking about getting traction and and sort of finding your voice. Well, not your voice is so much as, as letting other people know what, what your voice is. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you have? Something you would? Would you? How would you encourage someone to go about looking, for, putting together a show, or you know, approaching a gallery owner? How could somebody who's not known uh, find their way? That's a fair question. I would, we're, we're a very unique space because I'm also an artist. So I don't, we do our best to reduce the boundary. Yeah. So don't send me a CV. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. 
um, come in and say hi to me and bring some work and we'll chat. Yeah. So that's what we do. Most galleries aren't like that. Most galleries would be upset if you came in with your work out of nowhere. But we have an open door policy. So having said that, your best bet, your best bet is to engage the community that surrounds these spaces. Mm-hmm. So be it us or another community, like another town that's got an art gallery. Yeah. Don't go right to the gallery and be like, hey, check me out. I mean, you could try that. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to use a term. I don't think it's uh, the way I use it is more glib. You need to infiltrate that market. Sure. And you have to find uh, where those gateways are for you as an yeah. individual. Like, who is the person I should be talking to? How do I get from this point to that point? Is there an arts group that is going to allow me access to some form of exhibition that I can then go to the gallerist and say, hey, what's up? But the reality, all that boils down to is initiative. Yeah. And if you don't have the initiative, because again, you're an entrepreneur, it's going to be very difficult. Right. I mean, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, I mean, it's in your hands. Yeah. You got to step up, step up to it. Um, you know, and one of the things probably too, I mean, as you're talking about infiltrating the arts community, I mean, you know, volunteering for arts organizations and, and helping out when you can just to, just to get to know the, the, the people in the community. I mean, I, I can see that as being a important part of that. Oh, for sure. I, th- I mean, I, I built my career in volunteerism. Well, and and let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you. Oh, me personally? Uh, yeah, you personally. Let's, God, get, no, let's, let's get down on it. Um, well, you know, let me, I want to... Yeah, let, let's, let's, let's go way back, way back. <laughs> no, uh, so you are from the area. To some degree, yes. Uh, yeah. I was born in Passaic. Yeah. And moved to Martin's Creek when I was about four. Okay. Five years old, something. Uh, you went to Easton High School. You went on uh, to Northeast uh, Northampton Community College, yeah. and then to Temple. Temple. Tyler, Tyler School of Art is Temple's art school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you came out of that. You, you in college, you said you had uh, had worked, had created a co-op gallery kind of thing. That was, that was while you were in college. NCC. While I was still here. Oh, yeah, okay. In the area, and be, yeah. it, it it trailed off. I, I think I spent about a year involved in that uh, co-op when I was at Tyler, but it became difficult to do, you know, to em- embrace my education mm-hmm. while I was trying to do something up here. It was just, it was challenging. So, and then the, the whole organization became challenged because to some degree, cooperatives, nonprofits are, they're, they're political monsters, so they're hard, they're hard to deal with. And I was young, and I didn't have sure. any patience for people who were older than me who were trying to be like, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, go do something, you know, because that's how I, I mean, that's a little arrogant, so I'm going to lie, but I, that's how I, I gauge things, by what people do, not by what they say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, did you always want to be an artist? <laughs> so we can talk about me, right? So, yeah, you know, uh, you. my, my uh, artistic skills emerged when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to draw realism at like 10 years old. It's like mm-hmm. one of those weird uh, savant things that yeah. most people aren't capable of doing. But um, back to how society leans on artists to think of something else. Right. Um, so, no, I, I always wanted to express myself somehow, but I was never, I wasn't always given that a proper channel to do that. And in the absence of that channel, I behaved improperly. And became a difficult yeah, individual, you were, and so you're a bad boy. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, when it came to having to make decisions on how to get out of that world, the yeah. only skill set I had that was worth bragging about was art. Huh. And okay. so, you know, I barely graduated high school because I didn't care. I had good SATs. I wasn't stupid. I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to NCC to just assume that I'm going to find a rudder there somehow. Yeah. Parents were like, you need to do something, you know what I mean? Uh, so I was, again, adrift there because <laughs> that's just the nature of who I was in these two different worlds, like in between the two worlds, the world I was in and the world I was trying to find, which, yep, again, right. was a mystery to me at the point I was doing it. And uh, one of the instructors there, Gerald Rowan, took me aside and started talking to me. And I was kind of like miffed at him because they kept giving me Ds. And it was clear I was like better than the people in the class, not because I'm oh, hey, me, I'm just saying it was obvious because it was early on in NCC's arts program. So a mm-hmm. lot of the students there were there for the elective 
Sure. You know, yeah. so I was like, well, why do you keep giving me D's? And he's like, because you're not trying. Yeah. You know, you could try. You're one of the, you're like the only person in this class that could probably do something with this. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't had anybody tell me that. Yeah. You know, I went through all of my youth being told that my artistic abilities were stupid and useless. Right. And that uh, they were feminine. And, um, you know, whatever other derogatory thing you could think of about it outside of like, hey, could you draw my kid? Yeah. You know, because that was always fun. Right. Right. They're, that's what they want you for. They, it's like a, like you're a monkey. And that made me even more frustrated. And then like when you, you know, you, you try to look for an industrious outlet for those abilities and there's very limited ones, mm-hmm. you know, don't involve you again, become an entrepreneur. So I, I ran the gamut. It's like, okay, can I be a, can I be an architect? That's a, it's a, a valid profession in the arts, right? I have dyslexia. There goes the math, you know? <laughs> right? So you're like, ah, that's not gonna be good. That building fell down. Yep, you know, now back. they have engineers that check that stuff out for you. But back then, no, you had to make sure you could do it yourself. So I was like, that's yeah. not gonna work. And I always got really nervous about, you know, changing fives and twos, because I do that. And then I was like, well, interior design, I found that to be completely vapid. Like, I don't mind interior design. I just don't want to do it as a career. Like, I designed the sure. interior of the gallery, but I don't want to go and be like, oh. Yeah, this is my thing. Yeah, some wealthy person's gonna make me do Tuscany when I want to do something else. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that conversation with Mr. Rowan just gave me the motivation to be like, okay, I'm going to try and at least fixate on my skill mm-hmm. that I have. That was, it, it's innate and find a way to make it into something. And yeah. then I took that and he helped me get to Tyler. I went to Tyler there. I did okay up until my, I would think it would be my junior year. And then I started to excel. Yeah, you know something changed in me personally because that's what I needed to do anyway because I was again a difficult person. Yeah, and so I just um, was able to like look past some of the stuff that I had been going through or carried with me and focus more on what I was putting out and who I wanted to be. And then that changed my heart. And then yeah. I, you know I became a much better artist. And then I decided that um, no matter what I did. I'd always use my creativity as the the buttress for those in those attempts at stuff. So even project management, leadership skills, all that stuff comes from my creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the one skill I tell people I had worth bragging about, you know. The now you along I mean, we've talked about the entrepreneur aspect of things, but you know, and getting out into the community, you've done a lot in the community. Uh you uh, Eastern Business Association existed prior to that iteration as uh, you were had hand in starting that, didn't you? Pride? Yeah. Is that what it was before? It was called Pride. Pride re- uh, is, stands for a Proud Renaissance in downtown Easton. It predates me. I was the last outgoing, I wasn't called a president at the time. It was something else. Chairperson? Something like that. I, and I was brought on by... Robin Porter and uh, Michael Moorhead, who was the yeah. the head executive director of the chamber at the time, Easton Chamber. Yeah. I think it was called TRAC, Two Rivers Area Chamber of Commerce, before huh. it becomes yeah. part of the Greatly Valley Chamber of Commerce. So they got they brought me on to uh, get involved in Pride because it, we were the community itself, and at that time, in the early two thousands, was in a, a precarious situation. Mm-hmm. Um, after we bought the gallery, almost all of the retail around us evaporated. Uh, a fair number of the antique dealers went up to the circle, what was Julie's Emporium. Yeah. And uh, they vacated this section of town, which is second Northampton. There was, yeah. That's when I wrote the business plan. I was like, look at all this supporting retail. It'll right. be great. It'll be great. disappeared. Yeah. Within like six months. We had three floods. Uh, yeah, there yeah. was a triple homicide. There was a lot going on that was... Making it so that people didn't want to come to Easton. Right. You know, the image itself of Easton was as a gritty um, Rust Belt town. It wasn't selling it. And yeah. so anybody who would get, anybody who would pick up an oar and row the, with the boat, that's all they wanted. Yeah. And these were people who, like I said, this is a generation that was looking to pass the baton. And yeah. they saw myself and a few other people as the next generation of people to do stuff. So I got involved in Pride that way. Yeah. And I was there as a leader in that group until it became EBA. Yeah. And then I stepped aside. I, I, there was an election and somebody else was chosen. I was like, fine, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I had other stuff I was doing because I was already involved in some other things as well. I was the presence of the, of the art community of Easton for 
a decade plus. And then I, a couple of years past that, I got asked to be on the board of the Greater East Development Partnership when it first formulated under Phil Mittman mm -hmm. out of what was the EEDC, the Eastern Economic Development Corporation. Yeah. And so we, the GDP at that time, was in a, I would call it an infancy stage. Yeah. It was uh, tasked with organizing the Main Street Initiative. That's why it was right. you know, reformulated, because we needed a nonprofit that was a, lack of a better term, an NGO that wasn't part of the city to yeah. write the, for right. the grants to be received. They couldn't go to the city specifically. I mean, right, the city sure. was a partner in the grant, but it wasn't like the city could apply for the grant. And then uh, from there, we branched out and uh, did the Eastern Ambassadors. It was a big part of that just right. because I'm a downtown merchant and people wanted my opinion on that. Yeah. Um, then we took over the farmer's market when it started to... It was, it was growing again after going down to one vendor but it didn't have a proper uh, it got down to one vendor did it It went to one vendor wow yeah it was uh, myself megan mcbride uh, bob freeman mm -hmm. and prior i think maybe ellen shaughnessy was involved but there's a few of us involved that helped bring it back yeah i did the logo for that early on did some marketing for it as pro bono work but then it didn't have a it didn't have an institutional structure yeah like it was it didn't it didn't have any like business structure it just was sure and so then liability insurance becomes the question so we had to formulate some nonprofit to take mm -hmm. it over so the gdp took it over and then it did bacon fest and then we did the public market yeah and in the, the process of doing that i was asked to sit on the bush cookie corridor steering committee that was the governing body tasked with redeveloping the simone silk mill and the uh, carl store arch trail so you've you've had a very active hand in the growth of easton which is a very cool thing. There's a lot of stuff that's, I mean, Easton has, I mean, even since, you know, we moved here in 2015, there's been huge growth, uh, in, particularly in downtown Easton, mm -hmm. and changes. Um, and I mean, even before that, I mean, you've been part of this whole renaissance, you know, really, truly. And it's been, a, you know, it's been an interesting renaissance, not just in, in the arts community, but uh, I think you know, certainly in the food, restaurants, uh, uh, I think the music community has been, has really done well too here. Uh, now, there, there, one other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about, another involvement that you had, you started, what is the, the um, is it the, the Broom Brigade? Oh, the Broom Brigade? The Broom Brigade. Okay, so um, after I tenure off of the GDP, yeah. I was there for 10 years off the board, I was, I still wanted, and I wasn't the, I was no longer the president of ACE. Um, the Silk Mill was under development. I wasn't uh, part of EBA at the time. So you yeah. got bored. Is it, is well, I, <laughs> I mean, sure, that, you could say that. I'm, I guess I'm we could I'm say that. I'm not out straight. So no, no, we could say that. No, well, see, but this is like the other side of me as a human being. The, the one side we discussed where I was a difficult person. The other side of me is like, well, you, you know, if the boat's taken on water, if you don't pick up a bucket, then I don't know who's who you are. And then what yeah. are you going to say? Are you going to complain the boat's taken on water? Like my feet are getting wet? Because you're what? Just sitting there? Right. So I can't do that. I can't in good conscience do that in my community because we do it together. Now maybe when I get to the point where I'm frail, that's a whole other story. But I'm not frail yet, so I should be doing something. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, one of our early, early, early goals before we even bought Connections was we wanted to find a way to help the community somehow. Mm -hmm. So that's always going to be part of who I am until sure. something keeps me from doing it. Yeah. So when I, I left the, the GDP, one of the things I used to do before I was on the board of GDP is I used to clean the sidewalks before we had the ambassadors. This place was, I'm going to say it, I'm gonna, it's going to frustrate people maybe, but it was a dump out here. Yeah. I'm across the street from a bunch of convenience stores. I'm across the street from this municipal parking lot where folks would roll up and drop off sofas and tires and hey, yeah, things yeah. like that. Just drop it and r drive away. And they'd sit there until I had to harass somebody to take them out of there. Because I sell high-end luxury goods. I don't sell garbage. Right. So garbage across the street doesn't help me. It doesn't help the community. No. So I would just clean the streets. And one of the things I found out from doing that is that people take notice. And they feel a sense of community, both, you know, whether that's a positive or a negative, because some people hate community. They're just pissed off about the world. Sorry. They're angry at the world. So they'll express that towards you as well. But I know 
that if I go into a, a community that feels neglected, the portions of this community that feel neglected, and I take some folks and we clean up garbage, they'll take notice of that. Yeah. And it'll mean something to them. And if that brings them into the fold as well, all the better. If it doesn't and we just clean up garbage, so be it. Yeah. You know, but it's a it's a very low impact uh, way of creating community. Sure. You know, and it's yeah. a, it costs nothing. It's an hour and a half of effort twice a month unless it rains. And it's a it's a form of exercise, quite honestly. I sweated so bad yesterday. It was so hot. You know, and then you get to hang out with these friends of yours yeah. who are also involved in that kinds of thing. So, yeah, so the Broom Brigade to me is is me continuing with that that approach as how to how how yeah. we we not me specifically because i always make sure people understand that how we change this community yeah i was taught these principles by the people before me by robin by jeff and ollie by right. you know tim and earl and mayor panto mayor mitman these people taught me these things dick mcateer was a huge impact on me they mm -hmm. taught me these things and they taught me that eventually it all comes to bear the fruit will be on the vine if you just keep pushing. Yeah. And so when I look at the rest of our community, how we've changed the downtown, and it's, just, it's amazing, actually. It's really amazing because this doesn't always happen. Yeah. You could put all this effort into a community and it could do nothing. Yeah. It could just stagnate. In fact, it could go backwards sometimes. And you're like, well, it's it's working. This, this is working. Let's take this premise and move it out to the West Ward, South Side, wherever it's needed. Yeah. And so that's... So the, the Amend Industries is a what I hope to be, I formulated this before the pandemic, so I'm still trying to like get this organized, but I want it to be a mission driven for profit mm -hmm. where it, uh, it finds, lack of a better term, it finds capitalistic solutions for social ills or yeah, troubles or what do you want to call it? Yeah. Because nonprofits can be challenging. You know, the GDP is a, a, a successful nonprofit in my mind it does what it needs to do yeah it's very successful i appreciate that other nonprofits i've engaged i didn't i didn't feel that that way mm -hmm. i felt like it uh it struggled with its mission it struggled with um the output the roi that you were putting into it yeah. like if you as a community say i'm going to give you five thousand dollars for x and that doesn't come back to the community as five thousand plus one you probably didn't do your job properly. Yeah. You know, so I look at it like, well, what can I do as a capitalist to show people that capitalism is more than money hoarding? Mm, yeah. You know, because that's how people perceive capitalism. Well, nowadays. you know, it's, it's actually an interesting discussion, too. You know, I've, uh, the nonprofits, some, some nonprofits just don't get that you can make money to then spend more money, uh, as opposed to, I mean, I, there was a, you know, my wife, Heather used to, used to work at a YMCA in Maine, and they would run fundraisers where they actually lost money because they wouldn't charge enough because they're not supposed to charge because they're a nonprofit, mm -hmm. and so that they would actually lose money on a on a fundraiser. Uh, just an example, you know, of, of sometimes the the nonprofits don't see what they can do, you know, both both from a raising money and then implementing that money into the community or or whatever project you're working on. Yeah, and it has to. I don't know. I'm not dissing nonprofits. I hope everybody understands well, that. Well, but it is. You know, sometimes you'll find that mindset in, in many of them. Uh, I, and again, I'm not dissing nonprofits either. Um, but it, you know, it is. You know, to take a a, a for-profit uh, look at it and how can you get involved in the community? I think is an interesting uh, challenge and a, an interesting way to go. Yeah, because if I was trying to do this cleanup with a nonprofit. I have to find ways to justify it to the nonprofit. Yeah. So I go before the board, or I have to go there with the director. They meet once a month. Yeah. They table it till the next meeting, blah, blah, blah. I want to go to this block instead of that block, and they want to tell me I went to the wrong block. Mm -hmm. Or you're not getting enough output for the money being given. Not that I didn't need money because the budget. So you're freer free to make your own decisions. Yeah, and it's like that. Yeah. You know, like I don't have to go no red tape. Well, yeah. And again, I'm not against nonprofits, but for me as an individual who's just already saddled with a, a, a schedule that's ridiculous, yeah. I don't feel like I need to make my schedule more ridiculous. I just need it to be, I want it to be low rent. I'm going to yeah. go do what I'm going to do, then I'm going to go home. 
don't have to report. I don't tell anybody what I did. My friend showed up. Yeah. And we did it. And it's done. And then that's, that's how I see that. Shifting gears a little bit. Um, it, it came to mind. Uh, you published a magazine. I did, yes. Yeah, uh, Elucidator. The Elucidator, correct? yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the little, a little bit about that and how long you were doing it and, and um, was just the history of that. The Elucidator was started by uh, Elle Warner. She was um, the publisher, former city council member. She passed away this just past recently. year. Yeah, so yeah. may she rest. Uh, we bought it from, she sold it to Lydia Brunio, who owns the uh, Eastern Regular at the time. We bought, purchased it from Lydia. And we did our best to turn it into a thinking person's quarterly with a distinct artistic bent. Mm. And um, we did that for 10 years. Yeah. It was a terribly challenging project just because of the, the nature of what we were discussing about markets. They, shifted, yeah. they were shifting deeply into uh, digital online presences, which don't really have a, a, a good profit-motivated business model. Mm-hmm. So you're stuck with, how do I make that work anyway? I'm still a tangible, I'm not a Luddite, you know, but I'm certainly not a technocrat. I think digital has its space, but I'm still a person who wants to pick a thing up and walk around with it. Yeah. That doesn't mean everybody else wants to. Uh, getting small businesses to advertise in it was definitely not simple. This was the housing crisis, the, the financial crisis was occurring at the same time. Yeah, and so it was a challenge, and we took it on anyway. But um, I wouldn't not do it. It's just I probably wouldn't do it that same way. Yeah. You know, I, when I contemplate the idea of doing an, a publication again, it it wouldn't be. It may be similar in its um, output, but different in its approach. The um and so when, when you stopped producing that, uh, was that because it was shifting so much online? There was multiple reasons why, uh, you know, the business model was not functioning the way I needed it to. But it, the primary challenge of that was staffing. I needed a mm-hmm. I needed a legitimate ad salesperson. Our ad salesperson had retired, retired. Yeah. You know, he was retired before he retired. So right, I, right. he formally retired. And I could not find a legitimate salesperson anywhere. And I thought that that was really odd that there's, there wasn't a legitimate ad salesperson that couldn't find it. I was mm. like, what is this? Why ad sale again? So these are sales. Sales is not a simple process. You sell what you sell, but it's personality with sales. And some people bring a hammer when they should bring a feather. Sure. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So let's not do that. Cause my, I'm not a, a hard salesperson. That's not right. how I look at sales. Yeah. I look at sales as a, I'm coaxing you into it. It's a dance. It's not a, mm-hmm. no, it's not a fist yeah. fight. <laughs> you know? So yeah. a lot of people are like, yeah, buy this. I'm like, that's not going to work, especially with the stuff I sell. So that would be why I shelved it. And uh, we felt like when we, Alice and I had this con- the conversation about what to do next, we felt like we needed to really engender our energy into this space because things were finally changing in town. Mm-hmm. And so it was from that point forward where um, we shelved it, where we renovated this interior. And then I started with the, the courtyard. Yeah, because the courtyard was primarily done during the pandemic. In the courtyard, uh, their uh, connections backspace. Uh, you said you uh, you have performances there. You've uh, used it for any number of things, everything from weddings to what else, and and, um, and it, it is they just need to contact you and check it out and potentially rent your space. So we've done. Our own programming back there. Yeah. Uh, Concerts, music, yeah. uh, poetry, theater. We've rented it for any number of weddings it's throughout the years. Um, we had two baby showers so far. I'm sorry, wedding showers so far this year, bridal showers. Yeah. We've had baby showers, uh, birthday parties, corporate affairs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It sits uh, 50 at tables, has a stage. So it's a, it's a sizable venue. Right. Um, so yeah, they can just people can hit us up to rent it if they like. That's fine by us. We'll talk about that for sure. But the long term goals are turned into a straight up venue with food and beverage of some sort. Yeah. So we want to. I'll probably be announcing this for the first time publicly, publicly. But we want to use it as a, a springboard to buy the building. Oh, okay. Because that's our 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 thinking is the only way that we'll be able to retain the space long-term is to purchase the building. Yeah. Um, once the Commodore is finished, the watermark is finished, and um, I'm not sure what they're going to call the hotel in the circle quite yet. Yeah, right. I don't think yeah. they signed a name to it yet, but uh, once that's all done, we are we have bookends. We're in the middle. We, this corridor becomes 
the market. Sure. And uh, there's only so many buildings between those two buildings yeah. on those two blocks. And I'm thinking, well, somebody will buy this building eventually if we don't. And if they do, one of two then things will happen. On, sure. Well, they'll either increase the rent, which happens everywhere. We all know that that's right. what's going yeah. on. They won't put a dime into the building, but they'll increase the rent. Yeah. Uh, that's just the nature of capitalism. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> Come the other, full circle. <laughs> yes, the two sides of capitalism. But then um, also, if I, was a, if I was a restaurateur and I came in here, and I granted, like, we're, we're on audio, so you can't see this, but if you came into the courtyard as a restaurateur, you'd be like, this is a restaurant. Yeah. And so if I was a restaurateur and I saw this building and I saw the courtyard, I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah. And then I'd put a kitchen in. So that would be our next goal is to try to use the, the courtyard to buy the building, put a kitchen in. Yeah. And then we'd be using Oh, the, okay. Yeah, you know, we would use the, we would wrap the gallery in an eatery. Oh. So that it was two functioning. And, and I was, you know, one of the questions I usually ask is where do you see, the, you know, the connections going? And is there, so this is a glimpse into the future. Yeah, into the future. Our future, we feel, is taking possession of the building, putting a kitchen in, and having a, a four-season eatery at some portions of the building, yeah. and a two-and-a-half-season eatery in the back. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because otherwise, we just don't understand how we would stay in, this, in the town. And sure. why, would you, why would you, as a business person, I'm not sure why anybody plans for a short term. Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to have yeah. short-term plans, like you're on. But right. you, if you're, you're not seeing five years over but, the horizon, where are you headed? Yeah. And even if, even if you're off by a degree on that trajectory, you're still over the horizon. Otherwise, yeah. you're just standing there. And so I learned that from the financial crisis. If you stand still, everything will envelop you, and then you're stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, the, uh, how many businesses went out, of bus went out of business, you know, during COVID. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the businesses that, that survived... Uh, either had just a really strong base or they, they pivoted, you know, which is as trite as that is because it became the, the catch word to pivot. But it really is, okay, how do I stay in business? How do I keep, how do I grow? How do I get, adapt to the change that has occurred? Mm -hmm. um, so we all have to do that, you know, at all different stages. Especially um, when you think of like where Easton might be in five years. Yeah. So if and you... With all the construction going on oh, yeah. and the changes going on and the, and the number of people theoretically... You know, with all the uh, living spaces coming on downtown. Yeah, just the tourist vibes, too. Like, I, I was here July 4th weekend doing some work, hanging the show. Yeah. And usually July 4th weekend is kind of slow down here. There's people here. Yeah. And you start to think, okay, what happens when Easton stops being a three-day town and becomes a, a five-day town? Yeah. What happens becomes a seven-day-a-week town? Can it do that? Will it do that? Well, it's certainly going to do more than it is now because we know that, and that's just math. And you say, well... You want to prepare for that math right. so that you're not left behind by the math. And it's an opportunity. You know, the people are an opportunity as far as customer base. And you say, well, why wouldn't I want to find a way to access that customer base? Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we've covered a whole lot. Sorry about the jibber jabber. Yeah, it's, it's all good. I mean, you know, this is about getting to know you, getting to know your business, what's going on. And, uh, but is there something that we haven't covered that you would like to mention? Um, that's a good question. Let me think about that for one second. I think that, uh, you know, I, I always want to make sure that I pay homage to the, where, how I got here, mm -hmm. how we got here, why we as, as a collective is Easton. Yeah. And, uh, we should never take that for granted. Like I said, it's, you can go to other communities and see things not do so well, but, um, I also want to make sure that people understand that that's not a guarantee in the future and that we need to make sure that we're bringing in the next people to do the things that we right. we're, we think need to be done past here and give, give them uh, the, the space to be part of that process and also to give them um, agency over that process mm -hmm. so they are part of it. So I, I would just you know make sure we all understand that while we think Easton's doing great, it has lots of room for capacity, and we will make sure we bring in as many people as we can to do that um so that's like one thing i also want to make sure that uh you know people understand the value of art again back to how we were discussing it, how it can be lack of a better term demeaned or dis dismissed yeah uh, whereas it not for the arts movement in this community you'd only have half of the energy that it took to get us where we are right you know i when i think of when i think of like uh the resurgence of Easton and where it all begins and then how that uh, evolves over time, it, to me, to me, this is my observation, it's two nearly parallel lines of effort, but they're just 
tangential enough that they're going to eventually meet. And that's the preservation movement and it's the arts movement. Mm-hmm. And they eventually meet in the 90s. Yeah. Maybe the mid-80s is initially where it starts, but they really impact each other in the 90s and that starts to flourish and become the energy of change in this community. Mm-hmm. And so art's more than just pretty pictures. Yeah. Art is uh, spiritual. It's philosophical. It's community. It's everything you see is art. And so if, I just want us as a society to start to understand that um, art has value beyond just pretty things. Yeah. You know, so just, you know, just keep that in mind as you contemplate Life. what this space is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. You know, and like pretty pictures are still pretty pictures. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Put them on your wall and enjoy them. Um, make some, you know, like I've, everybody's an artist in my mind. Creativity is within all of us. We should embrace that. And I have, this is me being a Pollyanna. Let me put this out there. I like to think that after an existential crisis such as COVID, that humanity, including Americans, <laughs> will see that as an opportunity for some form of change, some f- sort of um, inward observation mm-hmm. in that perhaps... I think a lot of people found that to be true yeah. through COVID. I mean, a lot of that isolation brought people's thoughts inward. Maybe maybe that's the impetus we need for a, a renaissance in America. Yeah. Because America is due for a renaissance. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people understand um, that that's going to be predicated on the backs of mostly creative people. Yeah. And so just do that. Be creative. Well, that's great. Um, thank you so much, Anthony, for spending the time. You're welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, we're at Connections Gallery, and you should be come down and see the show. How long is this show still up? This show uh, runs through August 13th. After that, we have uh, Jay Etiveria as our featured artist, and then the, the fall show will come out in the front. Um, we have a number of events coming up in the courtyard. I'm trying to remember the bands that are... Oh, one more thing, too. You, so, you do Drink and Draws, We too, do Drink and Draws. We have one on Sunday. Oh, yeah, if you want to draw the figure, we do live figure drawing sessions here. At, uh, it's every first and third uh, Sunday... Four to six thirty. Though I have to caveat everything I say with our schedules that we're dealing with a health issue at home, so some days things happen where I have to close early or get here late. So I apologize in advance. Um, we also have a music event on the twenty eighth. I'm catching up after this health crisis we're having, so <laughs> right, yeah. I can't remember the bands off the top of my head who are playing. I just talk, spoke to the guy that's arranging. I think. Hexting is one of them. The Dave Kresge. Where can people find out? Is this on it's, your website? Yeah, no, no. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my well, website's the website. way behind. Sorry. <laughs> uh, your best bet is to go to Facebook. Facebook and Instagram. Okay. That's how I, I've been notifying the public. You know, okay. and uh, keep in mind too, our address is two thirteen Northampton Street. Um, if you feel like stopping by, that's best yeah, to, That'll be in the information of the podcast. Fair enough. I'll have all uh, that just stuff down there too. Yeah, I just want to make sure they understand the best bets to come by Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Fridays yeah. two to six, Saturdays twelve to six, Sunday twelve to four. Super. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for listening to Hello Easton, PA. This is Mark Nutting, hoping that you'll stop by again to find out more about your fellow Estonians. Have a great day.